Hey, good afternoon and welcome back to Help Me Understand. Today we have special guest Brian Dean here. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, designing learning. Uh, it sounds like uh, a few words that we've heard before stuck together, but really it is a new way of thinking about uh, getting the most out of kids and really bringing a sense of joy and energy back to learning. So Brian, thank you for being here today. Oh, brother, I appreciate it, man. I'm, I'm jacked and psyched to be here, man. This is going to be a great conversation. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's good to kind of, uh, kind of see face-to-face. -face. We've been kind of learning from each other from a long time. Uh, yeah, right on, man. In the written word, but it's good to kind of be together. Uh, help me understand a little bit about how you support schools and districts and how this idea about designing learning is really at the core of that work. Uh, yeah, so I'm, a, I'm an educational consultant. I uh, was a teacher, a special education teacher, and adjudicated youth working with juvenile corrections for about 20 years, uh, all the way from paraprofessional all the way up to building principal, and then kind of branched out and, and um, started looking at systems and saying that there's, there's some issues with systems and designing of systems that we can work with. And so now I work as an educational consultant. Um, I work here in the state of Michigan, and then I work throughout the country. Uh, looking at systems and how, how we're really kind of intentionally designing um, opportunities for, for students uh, to access the learning, but also intentionally designing access to that learning in, in, a, in a couple of different ways. And so I, uh, that's, yeah, that's, I guess awesome. that's kind of where we're at. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think both of us use this term intentional design mm -hmm. uh, in a deep way, knowing that um, there isn't ever an intention to hurt kids or harm kids by systems right. or teachers. But whether it's legacy, whether it's tradition, whether it's momentum, a lot of the design of schools uh, is caught in that realm and not intentional. Uh, how, how are you helping schools kind of break momentum and inertia? How are you getting them to rethink their systems or at least see systems differently? Well, so I think that the, the first part is that is, is seeing systems, right? Like being able to understand that systems exist and that, that just that idea of, of taking away this, this, this assignment of blame, like it's individuals within the school system, or we always hear that, that, you know, well, teachers just don't want to teach. I've, I've never met a teacher that's never wanted to teach, right? Like the game is just, the educational game is just not structured that way. You know, that if you don't want to teach that this is a job you want to be a part of. Um, but then also understanding that systems will do, will, will perpetuate themselves over time. And so doing a little bit of systems understanding and then saying, well, if that's the case, like if, if there's this idea of the things that keep replicating themselves, how do we interrupt that replication and that siloing of systems and build some, like build a new fractal that can kind of build upon itself? How do we build smaller communities um, that start to, to lend themselves to the larger whole as to, as to you know, how, how disruption kind of really happens, but, but progressive disruption? Yeah, and I think I, I make the analogy around cancer, right? Like we have great cells that are replicating themselves and then all of a sudden yeah. things take a mutation uh, and it wasn't to be malicious. It just happened and, it, happened. and then it replicates and replicates and replicates and all of a sudden you have a really unhealthy system and we don't have a chemotherapy or radiation for schools. Uh, what right. do we have in the way of being able to shift systems? How, how are you seeing it done as you work with schools in an effective way? Maybe an example or two of systems sure. that need to be changed and that you're seeing work and change. Sure, so, so I, I think it starts small, right? I think it starts by saying it, it's all in kind of that intentional design process of saying, 
you know, what's our discovery phase? And, and more importantly, like, what is, what is the thing we want to change? Let's empathize with our learners. And then really say, then start taking that focus and saying, what does it mean to be a learner-centered individual and a learner-centered classroom? Um, and then looking at kind of like five areas of where that happens. And, and some of the, you know, what, one of those areas is obviously space. Like, what does our space reflect about us? But another area is our culture. Um, what does it mean to be a learner? And then what does it mean to be a leader? And what does it mean to be an educator? Um, and then do those things cross over each other? And then what are the tasks and techniques we're asking for students and, and learners in, throughout the building? What are the tasks and techniques we're asking for folks to, to kind of engage in? And then, you know, um, also like, what is my ownership in this? You know, um, a student has an ownership. So for one example, we worked in a high school and, and the, the high school culture was really, really tough. There were high incidents of violence. There was a high incidence of um, disruptive behavior with, to the learning process. And there's a high incidence of graffiti and, and uh, vandalism throughout the school. And what we found is that nobody really felt when they came in in ninth grade and as they continued through 10th grade, they never felt as though they were part of that part of that school. And then in 11th and 12th grade, it just kind of perpetuated itself. And so we started this system where we said, in ninth grade, you take care of yourself. Like you figure out, you're, you're a freshman, you're figuring out where the world is and what's laid out. In 10th grade and 11th grade, you're starting to take care of more your environment. And what that means is, you know, like how do we take pride in the space that's around us? How do we help give kind of, how do we give suggestions, insight into the space that's around us? And then in 12th grade, we really need to start mentoring the people in that space as well. And so as we started to build that, the community started to shift and those ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th grade students and learners shifted, but also so did that staff. And it really kind of changed their system. So they started building restorative, this is, you know, this is, they built restorative practices as circles, but they also started building restorative boards to talk about what is the infraction and what does it mean to our community? Like when we start thinking about those things, just in, just in that simple example, there's so many different layers of accountability and collaboration that have to happen for our students. And, and, and not only for the students, but just a mind shift in general for all the, all the individuals that are there. That, that leader is no longer a transactional leader that says, I have to sit behind my, my desk and take in you know, that 20% of students that are being problematic and answer all my emails. That, that, that leader has to be transformational, has to walk to school, has to know what's happening has to talk to the people, teachers the same way, like it all kind of starts to flow together, but that's an intentional design. Yeah, and I think I'm seeing in a lot of places this idea is we need to elevate the mission. Yeah. And I think a lot of what you're talking about there is like how do we intentionally get uh, something that's aspirational, mm -hmm. right, in a space, uh, what, what you, and a whole bunch of things can inspire, right? The sure. space can inspire, the people can inspire, the mission can inspire. Right. But without something that goes beyond our job is to make sure kids show up every day and get credits, right. that's not aspirational. And no. so as you're thinking about systems, which can be dry, can mm -hmm. be kind of, uh, some people would say boring, some people would say the most awesome thing ever, like I do. I like, yeah, systems. Let's yes, right, exactly. But how do you continue to kind of mix aspirational language with systems language like processes and procedures but also be big and bold and aspirational how do you how do you find a mix when you're working with folks around that well i think that you know that's it's always that's always the issue because you're absolutely right right like mission like when you start looking at systems you take apart the components and you start saying what does system design look like and 
and what does implementation science say about these things and how does it move? Like you, you are either one or two people, like either you get real jazzed about it, right? Which I do too, or you're like, I just need to get into my class. Like, I just need to get it done. But I think, so I, I use the change matrix a lot. And then I use that diffusion of innovation uh, curve a lot when, when working with folks, it keeps them pretty simple and pretty, and, and uh, pretty simplistic in its, in its voice or in its concept. Like if you're missing these pieces, these things happen. Um, or if you don't have these people on board, you fall into this diffusion gap where innovation doesn't happen and nor does implementation. And then we start mixing it and saying, so, so that's something that's living and breathing because it's a human, it's human centered design. It's intentional opportunities. And it's, in, it's intentionally designing access to opportunities and intentionally designing opportunities to access. And how do you come back to that? Who, who are the people that don't just sit in the middle of that, but who are the people that design out to the margins of that? Like, who, who, how do we encompass all voices within that? And then how do we deal with those, those dissenting voices within that as well? And how do we keep pushing that design? Because, and the fact that it's human-centered and our work is human-centered and learner-centered, that aspirational piece keeps coming back, right? Like it, it's just kind of naturally embedded in that. But there's, you know, you have to, so you do that, you talk about like the systems pieces, you keep those, I try to keep those uh, more along like this, this, this model. Let's take a look at this model, you know, and, and like the matrix change. And then uh, we keep coming back to what is it that, that we want to be as humans and where, you know, what are the, I, I, you know, I've heard it said in the cultures of thinking, and I like to think of it this way, what are the residuals of education we want our students to walk with? Yeah. Always, what are the residuals? Not, not, I mean, obviously we want kids to read. Obviously we want kids to, to, to learn numeracy, but also who do we want them to be when they walk out of here? Yeah, it's bigger than that, right? Like it's so always has to be bigger than numeracy and literacy without losing the focus on that. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so it sounds like a lot of your language has been baked over time, over your 20 years of working with sure. uh, kids that have been part of the justice system, right? Yeah. Um, and I hear the word hope, uh, mm -hmm. right? Like, how do we continue to build a sense of hope uh, mm -hmm. in both children and with folks that are pretty stressed out about their work? Um, how do you find yourself walking into uh, schools and districts and, and bringing hope as a consultant right. into that work? Right. Well, I think that, you know, as a consultant, I'll be honest with you, man, there's, you know, like, I'll just, I'll just give it to you real. If I get called in as a consultant, I'm usually known for coming into a school system that is having some difficulties. Um, so, so walking in, there's already a stigma of here comes this guy, you know, who is this, who is this, this burly tattooed bearded dude. And, and, and you know, and uh, what's the, how, who's he going to cut? Right. And so so what I usually start with is I say, let's let's start with let's start building a talent matrix. That's that's our first thing. And let's and you don't get to build your own talent matrix. Like like I'm not asking you, brother, to build your talent matrix. I'm asking Brian to build your talent matrix. Like what are the who are the people that I see and who are the people that I go to? And and then we start celebrating those pieces. And 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 as if I am if I'm in a system and I'm working in that system and you know, they'll have me run the PD for the day. I'm always bringing in experts from, from our space, right? From this space. Like, let's bring them in and let's have them talk about the things they've been doing. Because if you've been doing something for 20 years, 30 years, and you're doing it out of passion and you're doing it out of your heart and you're doing it with hope, there's something, there's a story there, right? And all, all changes that I have seen 
I can sit down and I can run the numbers and say, we need to move. You have a district this big. We need to move this percentage of people. We, those, that's, that's all facts and figures. And that helps. That's data wise. And it, it's data driven to a certain extent, but real change that, that comes from storytelling and in education, like teaching is, is, you know, David Rose, who's, you know, one of the people that I look up to, he said, you know, teaching is inherently emotional work and it's inherently storytelling. And that's part of the reason why we get into it. And so the first step is acknowledging that people have been there doing the hard work and I'm just coming in to try and hype that up. And then the second part is what are your stories? Then that also brings in that hope, right? And it brings in that conversation. And now we're ready to move. Let's, let's, let's build your hope. And let's, let's see what you hoped would happen. Let's, let's get that done. You know? Yeah, we have so much trapped wisdom, right? Like in these systems where someone just, they haven't been asked to tell their story. Their yeah. voice has been muted. Uh, they're in some sort of survival mode, whether it's because of their own life or because of the leadership or whatever yeah. that is. Uh, and I think elevating those stories of uh, both hope and success and some things that have been hidden behind classroom doors. Yeah. Um, how are you kind of unearthing those things? Um, you know, one of the things that I ask teachers to do is take two pictures of amazing yeah. things happening in your classroom and share them out. Yeah. Um, what other advice do you have for folks on how to kind of elevate the story of good that's mm-hmm. happening behind classroom doors? Uh, because well, for, I think we, we fail in the country. Oh, yeah. Very well. For sure. well, we do a lot of Ed Carton teaching, right? Like, like, and, and I forget who came up with that term, but the Eckhart teaching is, is just this perfect metaphor to me. It's this idea that when you open up that Eckhart and it looks like everybody's touching, but if you look underneath, all of those eggs are separated, man. And that's, that's, that's the teaching that we do currently because we say, well, we don't want closed doors anymore, but we do still do closed doors. And so the first step is stepping out of those closed doors. What I tell administrators, if you want, if you want to know what your school is like, Take a ghost walk, no kids, no, 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 no teachers, get into the school at some time where those don't exist, where those two entities aren't moving around. Walk your hallways, walk your classrooms and see what's put up on the walls that will reflect your community and what, what, is, what everybody thinks is value. You know, and I tell them, take some pictures, find some things, things that are both good and bad. And then let's talk about your ghost walk. I have teachers do it when I work with them in the summer. I'm like, this place is, is empty or is it? walk through it, right? Tell me what you see, what you know, you know, and some of you will tell me from your history and you'll have some implicit, like some kind of like bias towards that. And that's okay, because that's historical and that's, and that's stories. I also tell administrators, if you walk through a classroom and you are up and you are, tra- you are not transactional and you are transformative, you'll see, if you see something in a classroom that's great, you know, like you want to go in and you want to put sticky notes up about that. Let people, let it put it just outside the door because look, it's not just kids who love that, right? Like it's everybody that loves getting a little sticky note that says, hey man, I saw you doing this and this thing is really great. But those things that need to be, it makes that conversation for the things that maybe need to be worked on or the things that you didn't understand, that makes it a little bit easier. You know, it makes it a little bit easier to have that conversation because you're publicly celebrating them. Yeah. Public celebrations are huge. I do yeah, another- and, and I think if I look back over my 15 years as a <laughs> school principal, that's an area that I wish I would have done better. Mm-hmm. I forget that human beings need affirmation a lot more than maybe I do. Like yeah. I, I certainly like it, but yeah. 
I don't need it as my driver. And I think right. too often I didn't personalize that. Like I right. just said, well, I don't need it. Why does anybody else? Man, right. they, need to, they need to just be professionals. Well, that's a silly, silly thing, right? If you can add energy and joy to your system yeah. as a leader, uh, there's just wins. There's no losses for adding yeah. energy and joy. Um, how do you model that? How do you help uh, leaders continue to kind of grow as um, champions and ambassadors and joyful leaders in their space? How, how are you helping folks uh, design with joy? Oh, I, so that's a great phrasing, man. Designing with joy. I like that a lot. Um, you know, I think that it's, it's a matter of like finding some routines um, and finding some, some uh, practices that we keep pretty common at, 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 a, at, a, at staff, right? And so some of those things are based in culture. If I'm working in a rural area, you know, that has been fairly traditional, um, like them, them breaking bread is a really, really massive thing, you know, but then, you know, I've worked in some really, really um, modern uh, and very industrious kind of areas, especially like around here in Detroit. And then making sure that folks are coming in, like what is the cultures of that area speak? Well, that, that area, while sometimes it also speaks about breaking bread, it also speaks about how are we out in the community? How are we visible within that community? How are we a part of that? How do we know the people? And like know the people by their first names. And, and um, I just, I, the biggest takeaway I have, so it's, it's different, but the biggest takeaway I have from that is that, you know, we as leaders and as, as, as educators, just in general, we have to be the hype man. You know, like, like, if, you know, if you, I, if you love hip hop, like I love hip hop, you know what a hype man is, right? Like, that's the person, like, I might say, I might ask you, you know, what, what are you good at? And you might tell me, yo, I'm, I'm good at making pancakes. Well, if I'm your hype man, I'm like, nah, nah, man, I'm going to tell you the truth. Bob, it's not just he makes pancakes. He takes you on an emotional journey with his pancakes. Like when you're done eating them, it's like you, you've gone through a breakup. Like you, you feel it in your soul. Like that's what I need to do for, for a teacher. If a teacher says, you know, if I say, what are you good at? They're like, well, I'm pretty good at lesson planning. I'm like, nah, you're not just good at lesson planning. You're good at designing. And you're designing on-ramps for students at all these different levels. And you need to understand that and realize that. And everybody else needs to understand that and realize that. Like we as leaders, just in general, whether, whether just talking with our other teachers, we need, to, we need to be hype men more and more and have it be real hype. Not just, you know, not just, no, you're right. You're very good at this. Like, no, here's the thing that's real. Um, because I think that that's what we're starting to lose. And that's the thing that we push against. And, and we, we lose that, that idea of humanity. What we do, what we tend to do is somebody comes in and says, I want to see your practice. I want to see the practice of the school. They flip on the lights and everybody skitters. You know, like they all just like, they just hope that they're not the last one. And, you know, I don't, I don't mean to, I don't mean, I'll just be honest with it. I call it educational cockroaching, man. That's what we do. Like, we're like, I don't want to be the one holding the bag. I don't want you to see me. So I'm running and I'm going to go back into my room in my egg carton and I'm going to just teach there. So I, I make sure that like the idea is how do you build up to and how do you help teachers feel that they have autonomy, but it's autonomy within reason. You know, like we know that we got a mission in front of us, but you have to have some autonomy within that. And you have to be able to say, like, I feel that this is, this, I, this is good for students and learners in general, but I'm not using that as my defense. I'm not using that as my shield to say, I'm not doing that because it's not good for students. Well, there's no evidence of that. But being able to say, I do know that this is good for, for students. Let me help. Let me show you the real design. 
Yeah, I say we do a lot of professional learning with a focus on the learning and not the profession. Yeah. Right? And I so how do we treat that. people as professionals mm -hmm. that do have some autonomy, that do have a story, that do have some passion, that do have an art to their work, uh, and not just get buried in the, in the science and the data of things? Like, there's a balance to be had there. Um, That's it. A couple other questions. Um, sure, one is about uh, what systems of design are kind of hidden, right? Mm -hmm. Like I, I think about our work around equity here at University City, mm -hmm. and I think about that being kind of a hidden underlying system. I think about there being some gatekeepers, some redlining in education. What systems do you see that maybe people should be talking about, but have been hidden under the surface uh, or um, you know, opaque compared to something else? Yeah. Well, I think that the two that come to me, and, and I'm sure there, there's tons, but, but the two that come to me is, uh, one of them is, is really kind of moving towards the transversal skills and understanding their connection, right? So those six C's, uh, like coming towards those, or some case, some places are using four C's or you know, new pedagogies for deep learning. They're, they're all kind of around that idea of collaboration, community, communication, being really explicit in those and saying, instead of designing my my ela lesson how am i designing areas or zones where collaboration happens or where community happens or where deep reflection happens and then how does that fit my science my ela my like how do we start bringing those pieces together um because i think that those really talk to the residuals of 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 learning um and i think that as educators we need to look at those and start asking ourselves what are the investments we're asking students to make and then how are we making investments back into those students? If a student, like if, if I ask you to invest in something, if we take it out of the realm of education, I say, yo, I need you to invest in this thing, but you don't have the, you don't have the, the currency to invest in that, then, then, then it fails, you can't invest. But we ask students to invest a currency of themselves within what we ask. And it's not just, do you have knowledge around, you know, around Shakespeare? Or do you have previous knowledge around, you know, algebra? We're asking them to invest emotionally too. And so we have to ask, what are the skills that you already have? Do you have that currency? And do you have the emotion, like do you have the emotional currency to invest? And so I think that's one system that, it's not really even a system, it's just kind of a belief set. Belief set. Um, and then I think the other system we really need to look at is universal design. And what does that really mean? Um, it's not just, for students in, in the margins, meaning special education. Like how do we reframe and look at the lens of, of universal design for learning and how as, as opportunities to culture and opportunities to, to ESL and opportunities to special education and opportunities to just that kid that, that just needs a little help that, that keeps falling through the cracks. EL, you know, UDL to me is, if I use it as a, as, a, as, a, as a metaphor, to me it's a cling wrap. It's like a saran wrap you put over and it doesn't change all the things that we have but it keeps it all real secure and it molds to that and i think that that's something that we need to look at and say well we have enough kids that are falling through those cracks that don't necessarily fit for special education or 504s or this or that but may fit from just first tier interventions that are universally designed yeah that's fantastic i love that metaphor and the other piece is that we are in a time and place where we've now we now know that the individualization that has come from special education is good for everyone. Mm -hmm. The relevant, amazing, engaging work that we've been doing in gifted and talented 
is good for everyone. Absolutely. And how do we mush it together, right? Like right. how do we make sure everyone's getting a piece of that and getting a chance to eat on, eat on that a little bit. So, right. uh, so final question for you, sure, um, brother. who, who's the kid, who's your North star, man? Cause I know as a principal, as a designer, as a space consultant, all of these things, like I have this kid in mind that I'm designing for. Yeah. Who's that kid and what gives you hope that we're going to serve that kid, those types of kids better as we go forward? Yeah. So, so it comes from my days in juvenile corrections, man. And uh, I had a kid, his name was Xavier and uh, Xavier had a hard, hard life. He was with, he was with the facility for three years on lockup uh, for something that was not really in his control in the way that he reacted to it. Um, and, and the issue with Xavier is that on the outside, all signs pointed to him just being an angry, a young, angry, uh, uh, a young, young, angry man of color. But inside there was, there were a lot of emotional pieces that were happening and his resiliency was low. Um, and his, and, and the trauma that he had suffered throughout his life, you couldn't see. Those are the kids I work for, man. Those are the kids that, because, because they're, they're not often seen They're they're often, thought of as being the bad kid or the disruptor kid. And there's, it's, they're like a can of soda that's been shook up, man. And then somebody, you, you, if I shake up a can of soda and I don't tell you what it is that I shook it up, I ask you to open it, it's going to explode. But if we can build places where we can open that safely, you know, then, then those kids get a chance. Xavier couldn't, when he came to me, he, uh, he couldn't read, right? Now, when we tested the kid, you know, we tested him for special education services, you know, the kid had, had 100, 115 IQ. It was, a, it, was a matter, it was a matter of getting that kid up and motivated. But the problem was is that he was a shook up can of soda that nobody was willing to open. And that's, that to me, that's the kid I, did, I try to design for. Awesome. Yeah. Brian, uh, thanks for being here. Powerful stuff. Uh, thanks for helping me understand a little bit more about design and the way you think and the way you go about your work. Uh, it's been great having you. All right, brother. I appreciate it, man. Like this, is, this has been a dream, man. I appreciate the conversation. I look forward to more. Thank you.